We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Good evening, good evening. What's up, fellas? What's up, man? Good to see y'all. Good to see y'all. Glad to have you. Different colors going on tonight. That's cool. Yeah, it's colorful. Yeah, it's cool. It's colorful. That's right. Whatever color you need, Chris, I got you. I got you, fam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whichever one. Nice. nice. <laughs> I go orange with you. <laughs> I like that blue. See straight. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, <laughs> it's a champagne room now. See, <laughs> just hit it on auto. <laughs> Look, we we, we complicate things on the one time that Sharif, that Sharif is hosting. But Sharif has been like, I, I just need people to know. And I will say this for Ray because he has been trolling. He trolled me a little bit, but he has been trolling Ray all day. <laughs> Today? Yeah. When did I troll? First of you, all, I re- everything no, no, you post is I'm the troll, type of bro. I'm the type of boy. You step on my shoes. I ain't, it ain't no big deal. I don't. Ain't care. nobody like, said nothing to listen, you today. But listen, <laughs> but if I accident, if I step on your shoes and you make it a big deal, then yes, I'm responding. Anything, anything that I put out there, I was responding. I match energy, as, as as Ray likes loves to say. You know what I mean? He got poles out on me and all kind of crazy stuff. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he like he like. Do you think Sharif's going to get a haircut? Yes or no? Or you need more answer? You think Sharif's going to get a camera? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Right, but look, before we got it, we got a special guest, our brother Daryl Burnett the second. But before we uh, bring him on, just want to hear how y'all doing from different parts of the country. So, see straight. Why don't you start us off in in Winterland? I'm good enough, man. I'm good enough. God bless me. I woke up today. Um, you know, it's not life isn't all that it could be at this moment. I'm a little tired. I'm a little sick of the year. I'm ready to be done with it, you know, but it's it's a few days till Christmas. So um, so I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm blessed. And that's it. Let it go. I feel you. I feel you. Dr. Cole. Man, it has been a week and a month, man. But we had uh, the best verses of all time happen last night. So oh that my was gosh. Okay. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Uh, there's other stuff happening, but I'm going to just leave it there. I'm going to be like Chris, man, because I'm, I'm extremely blessed considering where everything is in the world right now. So uh, E40 and Two Short made me very happy last night. Uh-uh. Don't have nothing. Don't don't do it to yourself. So, don't do it. I'm so glad you had a good time on versus. I'm sorry, uh, Ray. Ray has a screen, sir. I'm sorry, uh, Ray. Yeah, go, go ahead, Ray. Ray. Protector, protector of black women. How, how you feeling today, bro? <laughs> Yo, I mean, I echo those sentiments. I'm blessed. Uh, you know, waking up in these times of COVID, man. You never know. So uh, definitely blessed to do that. But man, you know, it's an ongoing theme, man. With these folks out here, with I'm sorry. Let me preface this the right way. Mm. With these white women of privilege attacking our black women. Mm. And it's disturbing to me because, you know, they're associated with a union. And of course, you got black and brown teachers that are in that union. But it seems like they just go with the rank and file. Like they don't they don't even come to aid for for people that look like them. Mm -hmm. And this is starting to look crazy to me, man. Mm. I can't be the only one seeing this. It's like a twilight zone. I don't think people know 100% what you're talking about. But yeah, but, but we're going to bring know, it up. because we'll bring it end, up later. Yeah, yeah, we definitely want to um, talk about the uh, U.S. Secretary of Ed, which I think will be a, a great segue for what uh, what Ray 
you know, tipped us on because I hadn't heard about anything, um, at least this round, right? This this iteration, because it happens so consistently. But, you know, just want to do a quick introduction for uh, for our guest, Daryl Burnett. He's assistant managing editor at, for Education Week. Before joining the paper in 2015, he served as the bureau chief for Chalk Beat, Tennessee. Shout out to Chalk Beat. Philadelphia just opened up a, a chapter and, and merged with the notebook. Excited about that. Um, and Chalk, Chalk, Beat Beat is, Ch- Chalk Beat is trash. We ain't shouting uh, them out on this show. We shout, Chalk, we shout out Bright Beam. Chalk Beat, Philly, appreciate Stop. y'all. <laughs> Stop, Stop it. Stop. Uh, Daryl's <laughs> worked as an education reporter in Atlanta, in Minneapolis, in Louisville, um, and also worked in Chicago, Chi-Town with Dr. Cole. Uh, He received his undergraduate degree in print journalism from Hampton, H.U., Howard H.U., H.U., and a a master's degree in politics and journalism from Columbia University. Hey, you see me me repping you today? You see me repping you out here? (laughs) What I'm talking about? There you go. Welcome, welcome, and um, why don't you just start off letting us know like how you're doing, and um, and where you know where you uh, what you repping, you know, uh, who where you repping. <laughs> um, so right now I'm in Rockville, Maryland. Pretty boring, uh, <laughs> but um, I'm doing pretty good. Sunday nights are not my, it's not the peak hour of my day, but <laughs> I'm awake. I got my tea going on. Listen, listen, listen. You and yeah. me at got T ain't no telling what the other fellas got. Uh-huh. It's probably the eggnog that they used to say, don't touch that picture right there, Sharif. Right. So. I'm a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> the uh so look, Daryl, I want to start off with you know, just what's not in your bio? Like, how did you end up black man? First of all, when you talk about the education and ecosystem, it's not that many black men informing the space, uplifting voices of the, of the black community. How did you end up, you know, choosing this as a career um, and navigating your way through there? Like, how how does this black man end up being an educational journalist? Because you're a rarity, <laughs> like the black male teacher in this in these states. Yeah, I think Corey and I, um, it was my coworker, we were trying to count up how many black male education reporters there are. I think it's fewer than five. <laughs> there aren't that many of us. Um, but I came from a long line of uh, teachers. So my great grandmother, my grandmother and my parents are all educators. Mm. Um, both my parents are black college administrators. And so when I was an undergrad, I had a professor who said, you know, pick an area you want to write about and stick with it. And education was just like the go to area. I got into a lot of trouble covering Hampton University undergrad, um, writing about Dr. Harvey and some of the politics at, on Hampton's campus. And I just became very intrigued by like the dynamics of education, the politics, the money, um, the personalities. A lot of money. There's a lot of money. <laughs> so, um, so that's kind of how I got into journalism um, and this kind of got into education reporting and just kind of fallen in love with it since. Mm. Now, what what can you say just as far, like you mentioned, you got a little in trouble while you were doing in undergrad writing, (laughs) Um, you know, so not surprising, but what has surprised you once you, you know, once you got into this field, as you go into various cities, you're uplifting, you know, stories. What's uh, what's something that surprised you? And also what is the, uh, what do you think is the most impactful uh, story that you've that you've done in your career so far, uh, particularly for black children. Yeah, I mean, 
I think the last, so the last two years I've been writing about um, finance, school finance. It was a idea that I surfaced to my editors after covering state politics for a couple of years. I wrote about Every Student Succeeds Act and um, governors and legislatures for four years and just like fell in love with the money side of education and going into writing about school finance, which education week had never had somebody who covered money explicitly. I was thinking that it would be a very uh, sort of technical field of reporting in which like you either do have money, or you don't have money and educators spend it on, you know, a certain amount of things. And every district is like, it's kind of cookie cutter. Every district spends the same amount of money on certain things. And going into that field of school finance, it was almost like discovering the underbelly of um, education. Uh, it was very disturbing. Saw a lot of uh, really kind of clear cut disparities and um, un- understanding the history of how money has been distributed between districts and between schools, between states, um, made me lose a lot of faith in the future of education. <laughs> and that kind of what led to the essay that I we're talking about tonight about reparations. Um, Cause it was just one of those things of like, I wrote about Rochester, New York um, when the pandemic first occurred. And I knew that the pandemic would um, only impact some districts financially. And I was trying to spell out to our audience exactly why that was, why during the last recession, you know, there were a lot of districts that came out of the last recession with more money. And there were a lot of districts that came out of the last recession with a lot less money. And those districts happen to be majority black. So in that effort, I wrote about Rochester, New York, which had already been going through a lot of financial problems. You know, had a CFO who made a huge uh, financial error, hired way too many people um, and were already sort of laying people off. And then all of a sudden the pandemic comes and state aid is just like slashed in half. And so they're like, they're literally like bleeding. And it's an ongoing thing that's happening right now where they've laid off almost a 10th of their t- entire teaching staff. Um, all the progress they had made in trying to improve the schools has kind of gone under. And for me, it was just kind of seeing in a very vivid way how majority black school districts are screwed based off of the way that their, their finance system is set up. Mm. We, uh, you know, I would love to hear from our former school board member, uh, C Street, because, you know, that in in Pennsylvania, the darker your district, the less money you're going to receive. And so it'd be really interesting, like just what our both as principals, you know, social workers, as as well as school board members, like how have y'all experienced that, particularly around the finances? Like how how have you experienced that in your schools, districts, your your neighborhoods? So you start, you, you start with, yeah, you start with me. Yeah. Um, so I think this is actually like the story to cover. And for us, folks like us, the four of us and others to keep unpacking it. I see Jamoke Hinton from um, from Oakland popped in a comment and she said, yeah, that part it's on it's complicated on purpose. Mm. Meaning like sometimes the devil hides things in details that they know you won't look through, um, which is really where the real problem is. The way that we fund districts from the state to the actual district itself. And then once the money gets to the district, how it goes out to different schools for different kids actually are three different gates of oppression. There are three different places like where the money can cannot land. Right. One of the ways that people locally should be looking at is how money gets spent in your local district. Like once the money does arrive to the district, the way it gets um, the way it arrives in certain schools and certain programs is deeply uh, 
inequitable. And I'm glad that there's a journalist and other journalists who are taking the story on because it's something that you is so complex. You have to describe it to the, the public over time. It's not like a one and done story. So if you look at groups like Ed Build nationally, anybody just go look at EdBuild right now um, dot org nationally, and they'll show you the way that the money works to our disadvantage by districts. Um, go look at Tim DeRoche's book on how we're redlined into educational redlining basically is uh, redlining us into inequitable districts. And then go look in uh, um, at um, Marguerite Rosa's work around what happens to money once it gets in the district's hands, how um, there's another layer of inequity. I'll just give one quick example. Um, you, you all have heard me talk in the show before about the way that we fund teachers. We don't really fund teachers, we fund positions. So teachers, one teacher could be $80,000 a year and another teacher can be $36,000 a year. You can be in the same district and have a white school that has most of the teachers that are $80,000 a year, like we do in Minneapolis. And you can go three miles and get to a school where the majority of the teachers in the building are only making $36,000 a year. But both of those schools pay the same amount for their teachers, mm -hmm. right? So one school is subsidizing the other. The poor school is subsidizing the wealthier school based on teacher salaries. Um, when we did a, a, a local study here on it, the darker your classroom got, the poorer, um, the lesser paid your teachers were. It was just that clear. Like the darker your classroom got, the more black kids that you had in your classroom, the lesser paid the teachers were. That's one type of inequity that can be compounded by 10. There's so many more like that one um, that we need some some bigger plan for reparations. Mm. I love this show. Love the show idea. Yeah. Um, Cole, Dr. Cole. Yeah, man. Uh, even in that article is straight out of uh, I, I could tell he's read Education of Blacks in the South. I mean, this chapter five talks about double taxation exactly like this. And just for the people out there that don't know what that term is, double taxation is when um, you got to pay both direct and indirect taxes, yet you don't get to receive any of the benefits for it. And the interesting thing about the South, just for people that don't know, is that the white folks didn't even want public education at first. It wasn't until those black people established it and they saw how effective it was. And then they mm -hmm. said, give us all of that. And the state not only gave it to them, but they, they led into this double taxation. Um, one, man, thank you to our guests just for coming, man. You see that we, 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 we like to have fun. So Hopefully you feel loose and you feel like you can have a good time with us. We also expect to be in Ed Week. But, uh, <laughs> we also expect to be there. But uh, I, saw, I saw you tweet at him just now. I was like, <laughs> I tweeted at him earlier. And, That's and what I mean. Ray, I Ray had my yeah. back on it. Um, but uh, I do just want to just say, man, thank you for your work. My question is, when you're writing about something like this, what has the response been? Uh, and the second part of that question is, because a certain population reads Ed Week, like what ideas and thoughts do you have for us equipping the everyday black mom and dad or student or whomever uh, so they so they know what to do with this information so we can weaponize it? Yeah, actually, the response to my article on reparations specifically was um, surprisingly positive. Um, I think that. Um, I think that a lot of districts, and again, like my article came out shortly after, you know, the George Floyd protest. So I think there was a lot of sentiment toward um, 
black history, black folks in general, understanding that something is wrong. Um, I think for me, I've always been curious as to why the higher ed sector is kind of going through these like this like uh, very public um, public atonement for their racist history. And it's pretty silent on the K-12 space. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with because we just have a drastic misunderstanding of our history. Um, you know, you talked about the education of blacks in the South. So, yeah, I read that book and that book was just shocking, mostly because there's an entire chapter on Hampton University, which calls our school a labor camp, basically. But um, <laughs> I'm reading a new book about um, the history of uh, racial taxation in public schools. And this book actually argues that um, not only, you know, was there a double taxation system, but the whole concept of having public schools rely on property tax was part of the scheme of white supremacy in the South to underfund black schools, um, to basically make up this argument, which is still being um, pushed today that black kids are wasting tax dollars, that black folks aren't actual taxpayers and that white people are paying for black people to get an education. And one of the things that one of the constant themes that I kind of kept going, kept with the school finance beat was this idea that, you know, that whole myth that money doesn't matter. That was, you know, came about in the the 60s with the Moyhan report and kind of continued all the way up until now. Betsy DeVos says it almost every other week. Money doesn't matter. Money is not going to what money is not what's going to lead to kids getting a better education is part of this myth that we don't actually need to spend on black schools that, you know, that this is just a waste, waste of our money and that they are genetically inferior. There's no way that they are actually going to, there's no way that they're going to be able to learn as much as white kids are. And so I just think that this is one of the things that our newsroom has been talking about this last couple of years, this last maybe year or two, is just like, you know, Ed Week and journalists, education reporters in general have to be very direct at addressing these myths and these stereotypes that we have about black communities. This idea, Dr. Cole, that you said about the fact that, oh, well, black people never actually wanted an education. This was something that was gifted to, gifted to black people from white people. No, there were more black people going to school in the South than there were white kids going to school in the South for, you know, during the reconstruction period, you know. Um, black parents today are still, you know, trying to seek the best opportunities for their kids. Um, but we've come up with these images in the in the mainstream media that kind of feeds this idea that somehow we are hostile to a quality education. Um, and that allows for us to avoid <laughs> the real issue, which is this lopsided regressive taxation system that has left so many black schools, you know, in the cold. Mm. Jump in there. Uh, thanks for your permission, sir. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Granted. <laughs> they're fine uh, right. they're fine so, right. yeah so uh so the 2020 version of this right i think is when you hear this argument uh and it's one of the biggest misnomers in uh in k-12 education when you hear people say uh charter schools siphon money from local school districts we all know that's a load of shit right because first and foremost charter schools are only getting uh about 75 percent maybe maybe not even 75 percent about 75 percent of the per pupil uh rate that a district would get so 
I don't even know where the other 15% goes, but I do know that charter schools have to then take that 75% and remain competitive uh, against the local school district, even though we come in at an advantage financially. So given that, uh, what, what's your stance on, on, on school funding for, for charter schools? I think that the debate over school funding for charter schools has warped the debate of school funding in general because it pits charter schools against um, urban school districts when in reality states are screwing um, urban school districts. Um, so if you look at disparities between suburban schools and urban schools, urban school districts are majority black and Latino school districts. You're going to see like five, seven thousand, ten thousand dollar gap. I mean, there are some suburban school districts are spending thirty, forty thousand dollars a kid. So when you're talking about where are all of our tax dollars going, um, where are all the state's tax dollars going, where are all these, you know, where's all this seven hundred fifty billion dollars of money going toward? Um, it's not going to charter schools or urban school districts. Um, so I don't want to kind of get into like the, the muddiness of like, you know, charter schools versus urban school um, spending versus, you know, who's siphoning off of who. But I do think that it it allows for suburban school districts to get off the hook with having I mean, I'm writing about school savings right now. So fund balance accounts. And I'm seeing some of these suburban school districts have, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 percent of their annual spending in reserves, millions and millions of dollars that they're just sitting on, you know, because, you know, there's only so much money you could spend in the school year. So, you know, we we can spend a lot of energy kind of debating between urban school districts and charter schools and, you know, where the money is going, et cetera. I'm frankly kind of disturbed by a lot of the rhetoric of like, oh, look how little charter schools are spending. Maybe urban schools should be spending less too because nobody's spending enough money on black kids right now. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just like, <laughs> like what, what, what um, inflames me the most is how much suburban school districts are spending. But this is a really good point. Um, uh, <laughs> that I think people need to pay attention to this point right now because um, we are pitting charter schools against urban district schools, but nobody says that it's siphoning money from urban schools when people move from the city to the suburbs because they think that they're going to get their, their better mortgage is going to buy them a better school district. And nobody said like when the, when the city of Detroit lost a hundred and something thousand white families to the suburbs, there was nobody there to say we should outlaw the suburbs, right? <laughs> there was nobody there to say we need a moratorium on suburban school districts, right? Because if you want to talk about siphoning, what happens in urban districts oftentimes, and we used to track this in Minneapolis, um, a lot of people move into the city as couples and then they have a kindergartner or a baby. And then at age four, we used to track the number of age four white folks that would leave once once their kids hit age four. Right. And go to the suburbs. Right. And take their take their money with them. Meanwhile, we are fighting in the cities between, you know, well, the charters get this and the district gets this. But we're not looking at it as a state obligation. We're not putting governors on the hook for the total obligation. And you have to wonder why people allow us to keep fighting the wrong battle that way. 
like 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 you know the people who make the rate the people who make the argument that you just said are teachers unions charter schools siphon off money i wonder why charter schools don't have a full-fledged campaign about the suburbs (laughs) tell me why because you know nea is mostly suburbs aft is mostly cities i wonder why the aft hasn't gone to the nea and say you know we're gonna need y'all to stop siphoning money off of these cities I want to see some Crips and Bloods type of behavior between the AFT and the NEA right now. I'm calling it right now. Right? Ankle I want Randy to call to call Becky Pringle and be like, y'all can't keep doing that, dog. You're taking my product. Right? You can't keep doing it. Who's with me? <laughs> Nobody. By Nobody. myself, as always. By myself, as always. I ride with you on that, bro. Because, I, I mean, in all seriousness, myself, as always. We don't, but we have no smoke for private schools. We have no smoke for the suburbs. We have no smoke for people that can pick and choose the district that they want to live in. And I'm not mad at them for doing it. The only issue that I ever have, I don't care what school you pick, is just when you have freedom to choose and get great education for yourself and your family. Just don't stop it for other people for by any means necessary who are committed to it by any means necessary approach. And my question is, this is the concept where I always have the right answer versus the real answer. The right answer is always in policy and culture. We just need everybody to lock arms together mm-hmm. and come to this school and, and sacrifice, right? And, and sacrifice for everybody in the greater right. good. The real, the real question and the real issue is, what, what, what does that mom do Monday morning? Right. Like what what happens next week when you got to get a kid educated right now? And those things don't ever run together. So, uh, Darrell, my, my question is around that. What advice do you have for folks? Because we know policy is not changing tomorrow. Money flow is not changing tomorrow and access isn't changing tomorrow. And before you answer, people, if y'all are enjoying the show, we need you to like it. We need you to share it and don't just share it without an without a without a without a message. OK. We need you to like put a message on that thing and share it because we want to make sure that this conversation reaches that mom and that dad that needs to hear it so they can be armed with this knowledge. And as right, I just want to clarify, right, right, Daryl, Daryl is Daryl. Right? Okay, we Darryl. have a Daryl in our network. So, oh, nice. Sorry. So, yeah, people catch us going back and forth a lot because we have a Daryl in our network. Oh, Daryl. No, no, no. It's just I just wanted to make sure we clarify. So it's Daryl. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, somebody just asked the question that I was actually going to point out was the fact that, you know, the most unfair aspect of um, of of school funding and 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 black kids is the fact that urban districts have just extremely, extremely high taxes and their schools are severely underfunded. Um, And this is one of the things that I just don't think that, you know, there's enough attention to. I wrote about this, you know, I wrote about this a couple months ago about the fact that this recession is likely going to increase taxes even further in in black communities. Um, And I started, you know, a lot of these finance experts kept telling me, well, you know, you should just look at some of the tax rates between some of the these districts that spend $30,000 on their kids versus these districts that are spending $5,000 on these kids. And I just compared Cleveland to, um, I think it's, the name is Orange County. It's a suburb outside of Cleveland, one of the highest paid districts in the um, highest spending districts in the state. And Cleveland had just ex- severely, severely much, much higher taxes than Orange did. And that's just because states are not um, states are not 
doing their their due diligence when it comes to school funding. Um, it's because um, urban districts there that you are concentrating poverty, which is just very expensive to, to expensive to um, to educate kids in a in a highly concentrated in a highly concentrated manner. And the way that we've set up our set up our districts, where we are basically drawing circles around poor property neighborhoods, um, so poor property value neighborhoods, and this has like a compounding effect. So, I mean, you know, there have been tax revolts in the past. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying that you know black folks should 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 grab the pitchfork pitchforks, but. I mean, this is one of the areas that I do think that this is like the when I talk about reparations, this is the continuation of racism. Like the fact that one of the reasons I theorize that K-12 has a, such a hard time um, repairing the harms in the past because we still have these policies in place. We still have this taxation system in place that targets black families that school districts are liable for. I mean, the blood is on school board's hands here. Mm. Why don't we jump into this? Because, you you know, the article that you wrote about the premise was that, you know what, school districts and I would say states as well. Right. And federal government. But, you know, particularly school districts and states, they owe the, the black community uh, reparations. They they owe they've they've done harm and they need to fix it. Right. And so I, w- I would love for you to just talk about the the article a little bit and some of the, the rationale that you shared, as well as what some districts, uh, you know, might look to do over the next uh, you know year or so. Yeah. So the, so I came across this art or so I started writing about this because um, I was at a family reunion and my grandfather asked me, you know, what happened to all that money that my parents spent on schools that I wasn't allowed to attend. My grandfather grew up in Mississippi and, you know, their town um, um, did not have uh, Brookdale, Mississippi did not have a high school for black kids. And so when you reach eighth grade, you just go work on the farm, basically, which is what sparked, you know, the mass migration to the north. Um, and I was just really curious about this idea. And at the time, there were all these presidential candidates saying, we need reparations, we need reparations, all these black folks saying, that's just an impossible feat that'll never happen. And what I actually came across is like one of five reparations efforts for black folks have come out of the public school system. So my article was about um, Prince Edward County, Virginia, where um, the in their effort to integrate the school system there, the state basically shut down the public schools for five years straight. Um, it was an awful, awful experience. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of surprised that like most of the writing about this policy. So the state in 2000, it was a Republican legislature and Republican governor. They set aside $2 million for the families that experienced this. And um, they said, you could spend this money going, going to get a, going to get a degree, um, high school diploma or college degree or community college degree. So I decided to go and find these people because clearly they're like in Wakanda. They've, you know, received all these apologies. There are statues in the States. They're, you know, the governor apologized, legislature apologized, the, the, the county commissioners apologized. There is a museum for these folks. And what I experienced was just, I mean, what I experienced. So, um, I was just shocked. These folks are very, very poor, very poor. Some of the deepest poverty I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, after missing, you know, five years of their elementary schools, I mean, their lives just kind of took a dive. And what I discovered was the fact that this reparations program was just set up in this very flawed way in which they actually were not able to benef- reap the benefits because it was limited in this really convoluted way that you can't really actually, only 80 people have actually gotten 
um, a scholarship, let alone only a handful of people have actually gotten an actual diploma or college degree. Um, Daryl, out of how many? Oh, there are thousands of people. So the scholarship is for folks in Norfolk, Charlottesville, Prince Edward County, and Alexandria, all five districts that, you know, are part of the mass, uh, mass, I think they call it the, um, can't remember the mass resistance to integration. There are thousands of people, but most of those people left the state after the school system shut down. Most of them, like, family sent their kids off, et cetera. So um, there are thousands of people who are who are eligible, but the state said you have to get a degree within the state of Virginia. Most of those people are over the age of 60, so they're close to retirement, and they won't they won't allow for it. So what the state is now debating as to whether or not they give it to their descendants or not. So for me, it was a realization that, oh, reparations is possible. States can, you know, white folks can realize once they understand their history, they realize, okay, we messed up and they are willing to put forth an effort to repair the harm done. And it's been tried. But the way that it was tried, it was in this really convoluted way that it was just really ineffective. Um, so I found both inspiration and a little bit of, um, it was also kind of a disheartening experience too, but I do think that, um, I do think that once people understand history, which is what I think Prince Edwards has actually come to, they have a very clear eyed understanding of what their history is. It's like the first step to actually reparations because I mean, what's happening now, which where, you know, you have the school district that is severely underfunded, you know, it's one of the worst performing school districts in the state. They have a very high literacy rate there because they're still dealing with the repercussions of shutting their entire school system down for five years. The segregation academy is still sitting there in the middle of the town where all the white kids go and all the black kids go to the public school system there, et cetera. So, you know, again, like it's this idea that we are still kind of looking this racist history in the face in its face today, we see it. You know, we could drive down the street. We could see the Rosenwald schools. We could see the um, we could see the underfunded schools. We could see what these folks are talking about. You know, the high taxations. We could see the disparities in the school spending, et cetera. And the only way that I have kind of resolved, you know, after 15 years of covering education, the only way that I resolved that we can actually start tacking away at some of these racist systems is understanding the history and then deciding that we need to, you know, atone for atone for our past and then starting to repair the harm done. And, I, you know, there are all kinds of ways to do that. But, you know, again, I found both. I, I want to just say, like, Prince Edward County is like in Virginia, it's, you know, the capital of the Confederacy. You know, they made an effort, but it was just in this really convoluted, very, very strange way. I mean, even the reporters wouldn't even call it reparations because so many people are around Richmond were telling them don't use this word because it's too politically dicey, et cetera. But now they have a million dollars that's still that's sitting in the pot right now. A million dollars that all these black Virginians could likely benefit from. I mean, Prince Edward County, that would save their district. You know, they're probably about to experience all kinds of budget cuts this year. Um, million dollars sitting there that nobody knows what to do right now. So Mm -hmm. Fellas, we'd love to hear your ideas for reparations. Like what, you know, what would you like to see as far as, you know, what states should invest in? Like what what would a reparation for, you know, that could could do something maybe not Monday morning, but that that next month or that next semester for, uh, you know, for for our children, the eight million black children. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's start let's start with uh, with Ankrum. 
protector of black women. Shit, jump in here. <laughs> Bro, so first things first, that lighting project that you did didn't work. Oh, well, first is always like first. Trash. First is always first. So go ahead, continue. <laughs> All right. Um, so restate that the question again first. because I want to make sure. Reparations. Right. What, what reparations would you like to see, you know, um, so, you know, invested so, in yeah. or, or forced to like? Cool. So, so I have I have family in Mississippi. Also, mm-hmm. I have family in uh in, in Louisiana. So mm-hmm. I, I know what like real poverty looks like. And so I grew up in real poverty. Um, I was able to take advantage of of the public schools that were uh that were, you know, in, in my town. We had really, I guess you you would say for 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 those that didn't look like us, they were really good public schools. For those that looked like us, we probably ended up in special education more more than likely than we should have. Mm. Um, so for me, man, it's, it, it, it's, it's a lot of healing that, need, that needs to happen. First and foremost, I would say uh, I, I, apologies. I, and I know apologies don't really go that far in terms of like, in, in terms of like monetary value, but shit, just acknowledging the fact that yo, y'all did us wrong goes a long way for me, someone that didn't necessarily go through the strife that others went through. Next, I mean, you know, you got to look at the prison population because a lot of those folks that are in prison are in prison because they couldn't read. If you look at the literacy rates of, of folks that are uh, that are that are locked up, man, they're really low. And that happened in K-12. And so, man, there's a lot of this. When I think of reparations, that's shit. you got to open the prison gates, let everybody out. You got to There's a whole lot of stuff you got to do. I mean, and then also the last thing that I'm going to say is that. If you are in a school system and your kid gets to 12th grade and they can't read, somebody needs to go to prison. Somebody that's in that educational career of that kid needs to be locked up. That's that's how you fill the prisons. That's, that's draconian, bro. I think I you, just you just like, said yeah, empty the prison. Yeah, I was about to say, now you're trying to fill yeah, them up yeah, again. Fill them back no. up. <laughs> I don't mind like a, a ass whooping, but prison's a little harsh. I just, you know, like maybe a public ass whooping or something. Um, anyways, like, listen, on reparations thing, mm-hmm. I would love to know for Daryl how how you foresee it, because every time somebody pitches anything with the word reparations in it, the first response that you get is, well, does that mean you just going to cut a check and send it to Lakeisha? Right. I heard that why recently. Why should it be Lakeisha? I'm, I'm about to say it's why cool. I literally just heard this in a debate amongst some black uh, conservatives and some some uh, black progressives, maybe, if you would call them that. And I swear that is all people run to that right away, that 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 like you're going to give a check to somebody who's undeserving. My way of looking at it. Let me stop you real quick. What did you say to them when they said that? Because like, like, listen, my bottom line, like with all of this stuff is. I'm sick of people even arguing about whether or not you should get reparations and who should get it or whatnot. When there, where there's a will, there's a way. You found a way to get money back to all different kinds of groups of people, mm-hmm. right? Like like reparations. It's only when you get to black people that you have a, a, a you have trouble understanding how you're going to get the money to them, how, right? How or, we get that? How out. we going to get, a, we gonna get that? Have, you know, everybody else can get reparations for all kinds of stuff, and we know how to pay it. But this is this is my thinking about education money. Period. Education money has to land in my lap as the so so I don't care like how you do it. You have to fund families, not systems, not schools, not districts, not any of that stuff. Don't give my reparation, my portion of reparation to somebody else, because what this is what's happening right now with money. Um, States are making stupid pension obligations and I'm paying for that. 
right? School boards are signing contracts with their their bargaining units that they can't afford. And I have to pay for that. So when we look at the total amount of per pupil income that a student is supposed to have. You can start shaving off the top for all these other groups that get some of your money before it gets to you. What I need the state to do is take the state obligation of it's no more local funding. That's stupid. State funding. Massachusetts is responsible for the constitutional right of educating children. Massachusetts to pay for everybody to get funded. Not not based upon your property tax or whatever. And give me my portion. I got three kids in these schools right now. Give me three doses and let me make some decisions about how I'm going to educate them um, because I'm sick of people taking some off the top. So however you however you get the money out there, don't mm. don't have a million people shaving off my portion. Mm. Dr. Cole. You're on mute. Yeah, I know. I was trying to unmute. Um, I think I feel like y'all can uh, <laughs> say my answer verbatim, uh, Ray, Chris or Sharif. I, listen, I want reparations very, very badly and I will work extremely hard to make sure that we get them and we can talk about the details. But again, like uh, we heard what uh, Daryl said and my apologies, Mr. Burnett, if I said your name wrong. Uh, it He said, <laughs> and, and I quote, uh, if white people can see the error of their ways and then do X, Y and Z. Um, I, that doesn't make me feel very hopeful. And, and I, <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't say what you were going to say. Yep, I could have said that. And I asked my question again, Mr. Burnett, um, for I will work as hard as you all want me to on reparations. I'll write, I'll go out and pick it. I'll, I'll pop somebody, whatever, whatever we need to do. You know what I'm saying? We can pop them upside the back of the head. It'll be fun. Um, I thought you meant the other pop. <laughs> you know, no, no fingerprints, no case. So what my question to you, Mr. Burnett, what can I tell these parents that's watching that's trying, you know, that got to send their kids back to school in January, man? Like, what do we how do we arm our people? Um, what type of agency can we help them find um, outside of just waiting for white people to have a certain change of heart? Because if you can if you finish reading uh, Education of Blacks in the South, everything that we are experiencing today was done by design, by a very tight, uh, perfected design. They even talked about. If we lose these black people's labor, we're going to have to take over the world. We're going to have to do globalization. They talked about this in 1890 something like this is not an accident where we are. So um, I want an Iron Man suit, too. But in the meantime, you know, I, and I'm just really curious because I know there are people out here that are struggling, that are worried about their kids right now. That That's my response to that. And also, I'm not smoking or nothing. This is Palo Santo. It is it is it's Palo Santo. OK, it's incense. Uh, it is not, y'all see smoke coming. Somebody said, what you smoking on? I'm not smoking on anything. I, I should be with these damn grad rates, but go ahead. Hey, uh, real quick before, Dad, before you jump in, uh, Lakeisha deserves a check, but go ahead. <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't, I would never put this on parents. No, no, I'm not, and I'm, I'm not, wait, let me be real. Yeah, I'm not I'll, saying I'll, on parents, I'm saying for parents yeah, that are, the things they can do. So sorry about interrupting that. No, I understand that. I'm just saying that I just don't think that the responsibility is for parents. They have enough to worry about. You know, education space has a ton of scholars, a ton of historians, a ton of school finance experts. Um, there are a lot of brains out there um, and they can come up with something that, you know, the education system is pretty. It's a very elaborate system. And, you know, like you said, a lot of this is by design. Um, and once you start talking about some of the more fundamental 
errors, the more fundamental um, racist systems, such as the way that districts are drawn, such as the way that taxation, that districts tax, the way that state, states tax, um, such as the way, such as the ways that, you know, um, districts matriculate kids through school, um, gifted programs, et cetera, then people put their hands up and say, oh, this is way too complicated. Um, but again, like for me, I really do think that, you know, my essay was really a call to action because I don't think that the K-12 space has even agreed that reparations is necessary. I mean, I, I mean, I, I get very frustrated hearing folks talk about K-12 history because it starts and ends with Brown v. Board. And it implies that a segregated school system had that there was an entire black school system in addition to the white school system, when in reality, there were so many communities out there that did not have a Rosenwald school, that did not have a double taxation system because the black folks, every time they did, they built a school, it was burned down uh-huh. or, you know, or, or, you know, that the teachers were beaten up, you know, this is a real, um, these folks are still alive, you know, this didn't happen like centuries and centuries ago. So you talk about, you know, what parents can do or what the average, with the average person who is interested in education could do. I mean, I would encourage them, uh, Fisk University has a website for the Rosenwald schools and you can see the double taxation system in action where, you know, the school board um, said, we will not build a school for black kids unless the black community raises money for the school system that they have already been taxed for. And you can see how much money they raised for the school and you can see a picture of that school. This is where school districts can start talking about reparations. I mean, Loudoun County right now is going through a whole reparations effort, and that was part of their effort. They said, look, we taxed the black residents in this town this much money for schools that they could not attend. And then the school that we we built for them, we only paid their teachers this much money. Now, the NAACP there is saying that's not enough. I want more, which, you know, rightly so. Um, but they have a whole reparations apology video on their website. But again, this all starts with history. If you are trying to start an effort in your community to recognize the the harm that was done in the past, the same way that we do with the Holocaust, World War One, Vietnam War, Donald Trump, <laughs> same way we do with history in general. We say, look, we messed up. We screwed up. How can we avoid this from happening again? Every district has its own history. You go into the book Color of Law. This is my new realization. Like we have always thought that school districts were that they that they were victims in the process of um, in the process of segregating communities. But Color of Law actually spells out the way that school districts actually confine black people to certain neighborhoods where they said we will build a school. We will build the high school behind this sewage plant. (laughs) And if your kid can't get to that sewage plant, sorry, your kid can't go to high school. And that was a way that school districts participated in the ghettoizing ghettoizing of black black communities. Um, So, again, the blood is on their hands. And this is school districts across the country that, you know, superintendents, school board members, look into your own history. I worked in Memphis. They discovered that their um, charter, the the Memphis charter, on the charter, it said this school district is not for black kids. It was in the charter, you know, so and it was still like in 2013. So this language is still there. You know, the people are still around. <laughs> you go and talk to your parents, your grandparents. 
understand what their experience was like and how it fit into the into the bigger system of discrimination. And then you could see how these how these policies trickle down to, you know, what we see today, which is you know all these disparities. And they'll say it's well, it's our fault. These black kids, <laughs> these black parents don't care about their kids. You know, can I can I? Yeah. I just wanted to I, I, and I hear that read the book. We actually hosted the author of Color of Law in Oakland at Sobio, an org that I co-founded with Jamoke Hinton and Dirk Tillerson and a few other folks. And I get that. I totally understand it. Again, I'm with, I'm for all of that, right? And even if we do that and that and that gets ball rolling, it's still going to take years to take into effect if that, right? If that even happens. What, I'm, what I work in and what I try to figure out is, what do I tell Ms. Johnson that is trying to figure out trying to save her kid right now, right? So some things, some kids, some some black parents will scrape up all their money and go to a private school. Some folks have found a charter school where it's available. Some people are finding like boys and girls clubs. What I'm trying to do is actually give people some power and some hope of things that they can actually do to jumpstart things as opposed to just waiting on a system that's never worked for them. I, I, I'll take a step back because I know that I'm kind of beating this to death. Well, and I want to jump in on that too because this is what I think. I don't think everything is for Miss Johnson to do on Monday. I don't think that we, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I actually think that revolutions happen on all levels. Mm-hmm. So you have a level of which this particular plan lives on where I'm not expecting the mothers and, and, and fathers of 8 million black children on Monday to be responsible for making it happen. But it does seem to me to be like it's something that needs to still happen. Right. Like, like I didn't I don't think we expected in the civil rights movement for everybody to have to do the work that Charles Hamilton was doing or Houston, I'm sorry, was, was doing or the strategizing that was going on in the HBCUs around that work. I don't think that was on everybody to do that part of it. But we're missing I think now that level of strategy in education world right now, right now, we don't even have that, that group of people who would have done that with the Brown work. Um, We, we, we need that group of people again, actually to have be of one mind to have something solid to shoot for and to have some analysis, right? Like everything that we're talking about right now requires some deep level of analysis that is going to be need to be shared by a group of people who are going to be educated enough to be able to manipulate the analysis and understand what it means and then develop a strategy. And that strategy might be on many different levels. It might be a political strategy. It might be a court strategy. It might be a legal strategy, might be local or national. I mean, like, listen, One of the things around reparations, like this program that we're talking about that has a million dollars in it that isn't being used, I think could be really analyzed for what the bigger premise could be out of that that one program. I I was flippant earlier when I said, just give me the amount of money for reparations. But if you're going to have people talking about canceling $50,000, a college debt for a small group of middle class people who are the ones within the race who have the greatest chance of earning income but you're not going to do anything for everybody else. Maybe start with a plan like that and say, no, we need free K to 20 education for all black people. Right. And we need um, adult basic education to be free for all black people. We start, you know, like right now, tell me, Charles, Charles, like the difference between Miss Johnson on Monday and the NAACP, the Divine Nine, Jack and Neil, Jill, all the people oh, I normally name. No, 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 no. I'm bringing it up on purpose. I'm bringing it up on purpose. Where do you think the strategy could live? It could live if Dr. Lomax and Mark Morial and Derek Johnson, the big three, 
the UNCF, the Urban League, and the NAACP were of sound mind around what Daryl is talking about right now. We wouldn't need Miss Johnson to take it and run with it because they have lawmakers on the hook. I they have decision makers on the hook. You're still going to need Ms. Jones. We'll need her eventually. And I need her eventually. But I was going to say it's a both and. And I think that I think it's a both and. And, and I think that um, like that part is just really, really important. And the way that you stated the question, right, is like kind of paints you kind of paints us into a quarter of how I go into it. But one, let me just say uh, definitely still want uh, to get those those loans removed. It's not just middle class people, but it's not. I bet you do. I do. I absolutely do. We would. That's I what I thought when you said, oh, you could say what you know, you'll know what I'm going to say. That's what I thought you were going to say. Like, but I want my loans forgiven now. What I, what I will say is what I will say is it's like it. it, it I have the the hope for me and I'll be the person that 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 will be honest about where my hope lies in it, because I have over 100 years of evidence of the contrary about what will happen around that. I have I live in a place where the NAACP has proven over and over that they are against uh, black parents. And that's and at a statewide and they threaten local chapters that decide to stand with black parents who want to choose things. Like we have like people try to hate on like HBCUs and all that stuff all the time. So if I'm waiting for that, man, like I, I just I don't want to put all my hope into systems and people that have not shown up for us uh, in, in a provable way. That, that That's my that's what I would say. But I think that it could work if everything that you said and the way you asked it, Chris, plays out. Absolutely. And that still would be what, five years out, 10 years out? Five years. I just want to give like two, two examples. The first one is just, I mean, um, the Japanese and the internment camps. That was a five year effort, I think, between the conception of reparations between to them getting $20,000 checks. It was the Japanese community coming together and saying, we got screwed over. We know the history. We have pictures. We have evidence. They went to the federal government and they negotiated. They came with a proposal. And then five years later, they had, you know, $20,000 checks. I'd also point to the reconstruction movement, which you go from slavery to black senators and House representatives more than what we have today in the matter of five years, I think. So, you know, I understand that it can be overwhelming, but we just saw one of the biggest marches in American history for black lives. You know, I, I just, I, I guess I just don't want us to limit our, and you know, the other thing too, I mean, Chris, but I'm not limiting, and I want to let you, I'm not limiting, but we still, yeah. how many kids are we going to lose? Even if everything goes right, how many kids are we going to lose in those five years? And I'm saying this to somebody who's been dealing with people in the last month, man, where people, kids are, well, you know, kids, would, kids can't read. Like, I'm just, I'm just asking, like, and I feel like Ray, I, I truly feel like Ray and I can be on my own with that. But like, I don't, I don't see it happening. I don't, I don't. Well, look, look at the, look at the arc of the last fifty years. The black middle class has doubled in size. The graduation rate is. Graduation for black people, rate that's not necessarily double. a good thing for black people. Black, yo, Chris says this shit all the time. Educated black folks are killing us. So you may have, you okay, may don't have use that. my own words against me right now. Don't you <laughs> use my own words like, against me. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. And, and Daryl, I do want you to continue on your path. This is what I want to say. I want to say, like, this is what I meant. I didn't articulate it well about on all levels, but okay. there are five years is going to come anyways. 
right? Five years is going to pass. So to, so, so to rule out things that that we need because they're not going to happen immediately is not a civil rights strategy. There are a lot of things that like like you what you just said, Charles, is mm-hmm. absolute truth. The NAAP CP has at times and depending on the state and the chapters, because I just want to say this, different states and different chapters of the NAACP are not always the same thing. Right. So I just want to be clear about that. But at at times they have not shown up for us. Mm -hmm. But the Urban League, the UN uh, CF and and the NAACP have won victories for us by using analysis and knowledge. And it took them years sometimes to to get certain things. But when they got it, it was good for the whole tribe. Right. So five years is going to pass anyways. I want us to be working on the things like you do that can get Miss Johnson some help on Monday. And five years is going to come anyway. So if you got a five year strategy that can can pay off like an annuity, like a civil rights annuity. It's going to like, like it's going to give us some money at some point. I think we need very smart people doing all of that. And I'm with you like on that. All of those things. No, I, I would support that too. In addition. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, and, and I know we got to wrap up soon. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, you know, when you talk about this taxation without representation, you know, part of that is when, you know, one, James Baldwin said white folks are trapped in a history they can't understand. And really that can't understand is like they don't want to understand. They don't want to analyze like how they got to third base or even home run without doing a single thing except being born white. Right. And so with that, because we see in white history, taxation without representation, they had a whole Civil War. They had a whole. They had a whole thing. They were chopping. They had writing and gluing yeah, and writing, turning down their own stuff. Turning, I don't know why they do that. Turning down why they do that to their own and, stuff. and acting <laughs> right, like all of that for taxation without representation, mm-hmm. right? And then we see our our folks with the same thing. So, but what I would say is that it always takes a comprehensive effort. It ain't going to be just one strategy. It's going to be this collection of folks making moves, you know, and that folks, wherever you can fit in, like that's where you get in. And I, I think that with the education, with the reparations, all of that is the same is, is part of that. Like if you look at the histories of revolutions, they were multifaceted and various people did different things in order to move the ball forward. And we can't lose sight of that. Mm. Listen, I know we got to, you know, wrap up soon, but I do want to, you know, just talk about this uh, piece. Ankrum, if you could set it up and just share. Nothing up for you to just show you set it up. No, no. Well, you wanted to bring it up, bro. So we can skip that and close out. Okay, beautiful. What what is it? What, it was some, whatever he put on on Twitter that he begged us to talk about. I didn't and beg nobody to do nothing. I got my own show. That he begged to talk about. Oh, like, he was talking about up. the union thing. This yeah, is like, yeah. It, it's like yeah. yeah, please do this. And the sister, and so we're asking if you can share with the audience because some of them follow you on Twitter and you brought it up. So like, like three of them follow hey. him on Twitter. Oh. Like three <laughs> so of them. I, tune in to the Edge Pierce podcast on Tuesday. <laughs> Seven o'clock, we get it rocking and rolling. <laughs> okay, for, for everybody who's lost right now and doesn't yeah. understand what we're talking about, um, earlier today, Ray was the one who brought it to all of our attention that there is a, a black woman superintendent who um, whose name has been floated for the education secretary, like uh, many others have been. And the moment that her name was floated, it started a Twitter kind of heat mob where all of a sudden there was a large group of lar- several large chains of prominent white women in education who were 
attempting to smear her and take her out quickly on Twitter. So there was some Twitter beef. There was some Twitter heat around it. And and Ray was one of the first ones to jump out there and say, we're not going to do this today. We're just not going to do this today. Like every time, um, every time we bring up uh, a black woman candidate that you all don't think towed the line the right way, um, they're open for smear. So anyways, I appreciated Ray bringing it up because I had not heard of any of this. And I, and when I went in and when I saw one of the people leading the charge is a white woman school board member in, in Nashville who called me a paid whore. <laughs> A hoe? She called me a paid. No, no, she didn't call me a hoe, bro. She went straight for the real words. She said, "You're just a paid whore," you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, and 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 they horrify all of us that they think are on the wrong side of education politics. The ones, oh, you've gotten grants from like you know Kellogg, or you've gotten grants from here and there, and blah blah blah, and you're just saying that because you're being paid or whatnot. So it's the archetype. Here's the archetype. If you say something that white female, uh, a white female profession like teaching and their associations do not like, they instantly put you use one of several um, um, stereotypes to use you with. You're either a pimp or a shill or somebody who your your ideas are assigned to a white master. So you're stupid and you're ignorant. You step and fetch it. You know, the whore, the mistress, this that's what they go for. Right. So with this woman and these are all educated. See, I'm not educated. These are all educated people. They're doing it, too. Right. We jumping out here doing this to, to people you just, with you just set the, you just set the stage. And, and one of the right, most men now, and, you it, now you want to talk about it. Now you want to talk about it. Then you want to sit up and you want to you want to dumb yourself down and say come that on, you're not. Come on. You're not that's bullshit. Do this thing. You you bring it out. You say it now. So, hey, on, so, so 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 um actually uh the the I'm not gonna call her name because somebody somebody said earlier don't really bring like heat to her name or whatever, but uh she is a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Spring 90. She is uh the superintendent of a district down in North Carolina, uh, and she's being uh she she's being considered to be the, the ed sec. And immediately when these people find somebody that they can't control, that have their own ideas or, or that are not white adjacent, then they go on the attack because they want who they want. And my, from my understanding, Randy is in the, she's in the running. She's one of the finalists. So how the hell can a finalist attack another finalist? And if you look at this woman's, if you look at her, her tweets, right? She showed nothing but grace. She does what black women do. Shout out to my mama. She sh- she does what black women do. She showed grace and elegance. She was like, "Hey, if you're in the fi- if you if, if you're in the finals, then you must be an amazing person or, or something, something to that sort, right?" And she put like women support women, women right. and that's what I do, right? right. So yeah. who are these who are these jackals? <laughs> mm, I don't know. Jackals is a good word, though. I mean, damn, I was thinking something different, but go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so that's it. That's all I wanted to touch on. Reef, you did a good job. No, uh, I mean I don't need that. But what, what I would uh, add to add to this, <laughs> what you had what you had said earlier, was that part of the beef where she didn't get this vote of confidence was this idea that she said she basically challenged her district. And I'm assuming herself and as well as the district say we have to stop suspending black and brown kids at this rate. And for that, there was a there was a backlash. There was a, a particularly white backlash against the audacity to say, what? What do you mean you're not going to suspend that Negro that I just said needed to be suspended? 
Absolutely. Right. Like that, that's like the, that's the, the, you know, the Uncle Tom saying, I'm not going to beat that. The real Uncle Tom, the real story. The real Uncle Tom. Yeah. The real, right. People be like, wait, <laughs> what, what? Yeah, yeah. In the original story, like, I'm not going to beat those that those black, black women. <laughs> she said we need to stop beating these black children and suffered backlash. Right. And then Randy jumps in on that. Like, oh, see, yeah, they got mad at her. They didn't like her. Down wants to be associated with this man. You hey, this might this might not be something he's covering at week. <laughs> I mean, he's he focuses on finance, but he he put laid out like all of this is connected. See it's, what happens, Daryl. This is all connected. We can't think that the financial aspect and 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 uh funding schools is racist and other aspects of it isn't. Like this is the entire ecosystem is racist, is corrupt to the core, and that's what what has to be addressed. And so, if well, I and Daryl's point on all this one is the one I want us to to make sure that we that that we take home. Let's do our, our, our final thoughts. Go ahead. All right. My final thought on this one is: we talk on this show all the time about how racist the system is and has been. We talk to, we talk constantly about how it's not by it's not by accident; it's by design. We say that the system is not failing; it's doing exactly what it was set up to do. We say things like that constantly, but what we rarely get to is what I think Darrell is pitching, which I'm happy about this show for, which is, um, so extract your remedy. What's your remedy? Draw it, create an abstract, create a blueprint, get the smart enough people to do it, analyze it, and go after it, and do what the Japanese did. Do what the Russians did. Do what Jews have done. Do what many people who have been harmed by a system over a period of time, systemic, make it hurt. Make it hurt. Make sure that there is payback on something. And we have way too many political figures who are dependent on our votes and for their livelihood and their for, for our lives. For them not to have from us a real plan that says we want our money. We're here. We want what you. We, this is exactly how the system's messed up. Either you're for real, or you're not. Are you going to win your next election? Or are you going to lose your next election? Because we're tired of playing around the, the the table with all these crumbs and these other other little things. Tripling Title One is a good start. Tripling Title One doesn't even get you close to paying black people what they have lost in this large mass system of miseducation that has been going on for years and years and years and years and years. It's not something we can all work on every day, but I do appreciate this journalist who will break it down for the public and not do it one and done, but do it over time. Help us understand over time. And then we need lawyers and politicians and other people to understand at the same time. And we need to give them the inspiration that, that, that they need. They can either lead or they can leave. But we need to give them the inspiration to take those plans and do something with it. Cool. Cool. My man. Dr. Cole. Yeah, man. Uh, one, uh, Mr. Burnett, thank you so much for coming on, man. And you see how we interact with each other, man. That's how we show we love each other. So. Hopefully you feel that love. <laughs> Hopefully you feel that love and, uh, and, and and will join us again and get us an ed week. Um, I would just say, uh, <laughs> said, hell no. Uh, but I would just say this, man. Um, there are a lot of people that's working really hard and with the educators, they in finance, they're doing a bunch of different things, man. It is going to take a lot for us to get to where we need to get to. Um, and if you a parent that's listening to this, I would just say, you know, don't lose faith and don't lose hope uh, and try to find out where you can push in and during that time, uh, because there is a greater good out there for all of us. But at this and at the same time, don't be ashamed to do what you need to do for you and your kids. 
Don't feel like you have to sacrifice your kids to the T of a system that don't give a damn about you that we built. Black people built this system. Black people built K through 12 education in the South. Uh, it is the reason why Americans have free education today. And go read Color of Law, read these books, uh, and you will, you, you, these people take what they want when they want. And we have to think of ways to insulate and to support and to, and to protect ourselves. So I love you all, man. I love my co host. And uh, uh, Burnett, thank you again for coming, uh, brother. And uh, we hope that you get to join us again, man. Thanks. Thanks, bro. Uh, Mr. Ankrum. Uh, again, uh, echoing uh, the sentiments from uh, Dr. Cole, Mr. Burnett, thank you for uh, for coming through. Uh, shout out to Columbia University. Uh, <laughs> you see, uh, you see the Ivy League in the building, right? <laughs> um, so uh, that, that, that's that's important to, uh, to acknowledge. I visited there once. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you did. I'm sure it was. A I've been to the Ebony League. It was yeah. awesome. <laughs> hey, so 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 here's what I want to say. My final thought is this. Um, Folks like the hashtag, right? And they like to live their lives through hashtags. So you will see a lot protect black women. But then when it comes down to actually doing it, you see people sitting on their hands and not really doing what they need to do. And so what I want to say is that this podcast will always protect black women. That's what we do as a whole. I may I may have it uh, you know, up as protector of black women, but we all do it. And and that's what we're here for. We're here to protect black women. Black folks, all right? Peace. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, Daryl, I'm going to go after you. I'd love for you to just, you know, um, share your final thoughts with, with the audience. What would you like them to make sure they know? And, you know, what can they, where can they find you? Where can, what are you, uh, you know, share your yeah. handles and all that stuff? All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, one of the most infuriating things that Donald Trump has said during his tenure was that Black history is, um, is depressing for black kids and K-12 history specifically K-12 black history is some of the most inspiring American history that you can actually study. Um, if you want to understand some of the strong soldiers that we've stood on the fact that, you know, black folks were whipped in Virginia, they were whipped 20 times. Um, their teachers were jailed for um, learning how to read for teaching black kids, how to read black kids were whipped 20 times. Um, and yet, we have, you know, one of the fastest growing middle classes in America. Um, we have all these black literary kids out here. And that is because of all these movements that, you know, that have come from, come in the past. Um, 115 black colleges, you know, um, that are still around. I mean, you can drive to and, you know, see, you know, teaching and learning going on. So I would just encourage everybody to study their own district's history, to study your state's history, to study black history in general. Um, if you ever get to go to the black, I call it the Black Sony and the Black History Museum, Smithsonian here in DC, go to Mary McLeod Bethune's room, mm -hmm. um, understand you know, how all these black women, you talk about black women, have really fought hard for black kids to get an education and we are reaping the, reaping the benefits of their, of their efforts. So, you know, yes. <laughs> You can go into the south side of Chicago and go to one of those schools and it's, you know, it's crummy, there's mildew, et cetera, but there's a school building, you know, and <laughs> I'm not saying that that is, you know, that is, um, you know, there's still a long way to go, but I just think that, you know, we should understand how we got this far. Hey, Rick, Thank you, you. you want to talk about my loft conversion idea? Your what? My loft conversion Next. idea? 
on it's Tuesday, seven PM. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Darrell, first, I just want to you know thank you for coming on. I, I think you know this this uh, like what you're focused on um, around these finances, around like how schools have been underfunded, how Black children have not been looked at as deserving, uh, when really we should be looking at like none of y'all are worth our children. They're looking at our children and saying, you're not deserving of the money that your parents actually have invested in the system, that we're stealing from your parents and we ain't giving back. And so, you know, uh, following that that dollar, you know, show me where the money is. Right. Um, I think at the end of the day, families and activists, like I think any any strategy has to have a radical side of it too to help push things forward right and so like whatever the strategy is there there needs to be some some uh, radical efforts to ensure that you know that other folks are listened to that that has to continue and in, in including in this uh financial piece right and so i think part of it is just being steadfast Right. Like in, in Goodfellas, when they when they were when they were owed money, when, when them guys were owed money, like F you pay me. Oh, this happened. This happened. F you pay me. And I think that's how we have to look at at this. Like, no, F you pay us because you've ripped us off uh, from day one. You've hunted us down from day one and you're continuing that that same legacy. But we're going to continue our legacy and and resist and be brilliant and be beautiful with elegance and class and and radical uh, elements when we have to. So I want to thank you again. You've been listening to the 93rd episode of the Eight Black Hands. And I um, want to thank you all and thank our audience. Thank you all for being here with us this evening. Continue to share, continue to chime in, and um, and we'll see you next week. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.